0: Okay, we're going to uh, jump into Revelation chapter 17 and the next few weeks. And I don't know how long this is going to take. We'll be in Revelation 17 and 18. It's the destruction of Babylon. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. It's tough sledding. It's tough teaching. There's a lot of controversy here. But that said, my whole life, I mean, I've, I've wanted to see Babylon judged. All our problems in America is because of the Babylonian influence. All of them. Um, all of them. <laughs> and so when God judges Babylon, you know, I think like, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, sometimes we think like, well, we, this party and this party and, you know, this party's preferable and if we, you know, this and that and whatever. No, no, it, it's still Babylonian. It's still, and we'll look at that, and and God's going to be done with that. And when He sets up His kingdom, it's not going to have a Babylonian flavor. It's going to be His kingdom, okay? And it will be perfect. And He's going to have to deal with Babylon first. So let's pray and jump right in. I'm not going to read like I do because I think it's it's kind of daunting in the sense like. Verse eleven: The beast that was and is not, even here's the eighth, and he of the seven to go within the perdition. And you're thinking, like, what? And we'll just, we'll just take it verse at a time, and I'll, and I'll, we'll explain it. It's kind of one of these, like, yard by yard, the job is hard; inch by inch, it's a cinch. Well, it's not cinchy, but if we take it in bite-sized pieces, it's. I think we can get it. I think we can get our minds around it. So let's just pray and ask God's blessing, Father. You know, it's hard to look at a mystery that hasn't happened yet and to teach it very accurately, but we want to be accurate with your word. We don't want to be all speculative. I mean, there's enough of that around. And Father, we just want to be those who teach truth, uh, words to live by, things that will help us, Lord, in our daily walk. And Lord, this here, I mean, much of this is just we just want to avoid this at all costs, and we want to be uh, those who walk in truth, those who will go home to be with you at a, at a trumpet blast at a, at, a, at a date not too far from from now. And Lord, we want to be evangelical and tell all our friends and family about this so that they don't come to this bad end either. So Lord, we, we pray you to advance your cause and bless us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 16, second half of the tribulation. Any questions? We looked over that. Now, What the Bible does is it introduces a topic and then it kind of drills down and gives us, fills in some detail. And I think that's what 17 and 18 are all about. You remember, um, where is it? Where is it? uh, Sixth angel in verse 12. I think the unclean spirits, like frogs, working miracles to gather them to battle against that great day, God Almighty. In the interim, he's going to judge Babylon, and you ain't want to be in Babylon anymore. Might as well go to Jerusalem, where Armageddon is, and, and try to win the victory there. Um, the... Uh, am oh, yeah, 17. And the seventh angel put out his vial into the air. Into the air? That's not very effective. Yeah, he's yeah, Satan's the prince of the power of the air. He pours his vial out, the bowl of wrath, on the seat of Antichrist. You want to find out what that's all about? Well, well, let's do that. It's in chapter seventeen, eighteen. By the way, I don't know how far I'm going to get. I usually have a good idea. Let's I can get pretty involved. We're going to have to put on our thinking caps, and we're going to have to, and if you've been with us last like five or six weeks on Wednesday night, it'll be helpful. Otherwise, we're kind of introducing a new thing and try to bring everyone up to speed. That's why we have the Wednesday night studies, trying to augment what we're learning Sunday morning. And there's a lot, a lot of scripture on the destruction of Babylon. Chapter 17, there came one of the seven angels who had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So he starts to know the angels now. He recognizes, hey, you're one of the guys who had one of the bulls. Had, because they're all poured out at this point, right? So he recognizes this angel, and the angel comes and says, hey, come with me. I've got to show you something. What is he going to show him? The judgment. When we talk about judgment, you know, we think about like, gee, I wonder what's going to happen. Is he going to be guilty, or is he going to be innocent? Or she... Is a judgment call? No, no judgment in God's court. You're always guilty. Why? <laughs> because you're always guilty. Uh, this is 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 the great whore. And by the way, whore should fill us in: uh, guilty before the Lord or not? Yeah. So she's going to be judged, and that means convicted, found guilty, and punished accordingly. Now, when I say whore, people get like cringe, like, "Oh, you're saying." Um, it, it's a, it's supposed to make you cringe. He's talking about this. Okay, look at the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, is a is a virgin bride. And compare her to this Babylonian mystery religion here, a whore. And he he's not trying to. The, the spirit of the living God is not trying to bless her with this appellation. It's it's. It's a pejorative term on purpose, okay? So Babylon is a whore. She sitteth upon many waters, and you're thinking like, what's that all about? Well, well look, he's going to explain it. I'm going to show you something right, right away. Um, verse 15, and he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, I'm going to fill you in. Where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. But we knew that because we've studied that before. You remember in Revelation chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 1 I stood upon the sand of the sea, and a beast riseth up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So wait a, wait a second, we have. Uh, seven heads and ten horns, that's going to come up again. So put that in the back burner of your brain. But he comes up out of the sea. And what did I say? God just said he's a Gentile. Why? Because that's what the horse sitteth upon many waters. What are the waters? Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Or so in a word, not Jews. Gentile nations. And so, I, I and at that time, back in Revelation chapter 13, I showed you that um, that the sea is, is, is idiomatic, or is, is a picture of the Gentile nations. And we looked at several verses that I think we concluded that that was so. So here it's the same thing. So let's not get too bogged down right at the beginning. I will show you the judgment of the great horse, she sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now we get the word fornication introduced here. Well, She's a whore. As opposed to the church, the virgin bride of Christ. Um, is it, is she like, okay, she's, she's committed fornication with the inhabitants of the earth and the kings of the earth. Man, that's pretty promiscuous. Is it talking about physical adultery or physical fornication, physical sex sin? No, I don't think so. It's talking about a spiritual, and we see that all through Scripture, where God blames Israel, "Hey, you're, you're cheating on me. You're you've you've been seen with another god. You're you're committing adultery. You're supposed to be my bride. You're supposed to be the wife of Jehovah." We see that many places in Scripture, and now they're worshiping Molech. They're worshiping uh, the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah chapter fifty-one of. Uh, forty four and all in there they they 're they're committing false worship, and God looks at it like fornication he 's a jealous god, unapologetically he says that uh i the lord that you know I brought you out of egypt i 'm jealous yeah I get that <laughs> I totally get that so am i i 'm a jealous husband uh, i I really am no apologies. Uh, I'm not crazy jealous, uh, and she doesn't give me reason to be. We've given God reason to be, as the children of Israel, and even as the Church of Jesus Christ. Have we always been pure? Have we always remained faithful? Has he always been our number one and only God? Um, you say, well, I don't, have, I don't have a little statue of Buddha in my house and I burn incense to it and fall down worship it and say, thou art my God. No, we don't have to do that. All we have to do is put something in our life above God. What is that? Our idol, the most important thing in our life. God says, I want to be number one in your life. I'm jealous for that position. So the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth that made drunk with the wine of her fornication it's it's so, fornicate so, and it's like a drunkenness. It's like a I lost my mind. I can't even think clear. I'm so into this fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Ah, seven heads, ten horns. She's sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast. So there's two people we're going to have to figure out who they are the, the woman and the beast. Now the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So he tells us what she dressed in, he tells us what she was doing, and what she looked like a little bit, and we'll go back and we'll revisit this. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, this here is very controversial. A lot of people have a lot of ideas. If you go to YouTube and you look up Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17, 18, etc., etc., there's going to be more YouTube videos than you can watch in a lifetime And they all have a different flavor and a different, many of them. You know, uh, um, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. But the Holy Spirit has given us clues. I mean, he wants us to understand some things, right? So he explains some things to us. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. So whoever she is, the true people of God, she... Persecuse, how do you get blood, i got blood in me right now, but you can't see it. How do you get the blood in me, out of me, you kill me or, or something like that? That's kind of the idea. She's drunk with the blood of the saints and of the blood of the martyrs, witnesses. Uh, you know, martyr comes to mean in English now, uh, someone who has suffered for Jesus Christ, and usually to the point of death. It used to not mean that, it used to just mean witness. But the witnesses of Jesus Christ, especially in the time of Rome, were so persecuted that the word, you know, believer and witness in Jesus Christ and the word people who have suffered Christ became synonymous. And we use it now. When we talk about a martyr, you hear like voice of the martyrs, the ones who have suffered Christ, who have been in prison, who have been tortured, who have been abused in, in, in some manner. So this woman, this whore, this mother of harlots, she's drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. He's awestruck, okay? Admiration kind of looks like, you know, you, you admire somebody, that's a positive thing, it's, it's not here, he's just thinking like, wow, what is going on here? And the angel said to me, wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the uh, of the woman and the beast that carried her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Thank you. Because <laughs> we got this vision, and you're making this picture in your head, and you're thinking, what is this all about? And like I say, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, that was helpful. What does it mean to be... Uh, Babylonian. Well, that goes back to Nimrod, and what I didn't tell you was, you know, Nimrod and the and the Samaramis legend, and I don't think it's a legend, and Tammuz, and some of this is mentioned in scripture, and some of it's it's not. And then there's worship to this Queen of Heaven, and this is all has to do with the Tower of Babel and Nimrod, and and God comes down and He judges uh, that, and He scatters. He says they got one language, He scatters them all over the earth with this mystery, cult, immoral, wrong teaching that's antithetical to Christianity, to, to the true God. And then they, that's where we come uh, with Molech and Chemosh and Baal and all the Ashtoreth, and, and there's a lot of different names given here. Why? Because they all have different languages now. And these are the different languages coming to the surface. And they all have this hazy conceptness, and, and so there's God's truth and there's Satan's counterfeit. And when it boils down to it, that's all there are. Now, Satan's counterfeit has 200-plus flavors. And Satan doesn't care which one you buy into, frankly. Um, Satan's goal is to thwart the plan of God. Does he care if you go to hell From being a Buddhist or a Mormon or Islam, does he care about how he gets you into hell? I would suggest he doesn't. Does he care if you're in a liberal church that doesn't really preach the gospel of Jesus? I don't. I don't believe he does. Does he care about uh, you know? So you know, we we, we tell the story. You know, we went with some friends last night, and um, they had a pastor friend from. Uh, from South Carolina, and we met, and we were talking with them and stuff, and we tell a lot story. You know, I, I was a Roman Catholic, Suze was Methodist, so we had you know Protestant marries a Catholic, and we 're both as lost as lost can be, and there 's no salvation between the two of us. And you think, well, you, you, you got one of them 's got to be the right, not with us. And and it's not like that anyway. And did, did Satan care that you were Methodist and going to hell, and I was Catholic and going to hell? He just wanted us to go to hell, and he had his nefarious clutches on us. And he didn't like it so good when we broke free from him, did he? No, he still doesn't, does he? Anyway, so that's how that works. Is like, and when it comes down to Revelation 13, you remember what we were talking about? Okay, this is beast, right? And. This woman, I'll tell you right now, she represents the one world religion after the rapture. Okay? It's all amalgamated into one. And she's riding the beast. Who's the beast? Well, we know that from Revelation 13. At some point, he doesn't like her anymore. He, he makes war with her. Because why? Because he wants to be. And three and a half years into the tribulation, He sets himself up in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, and it's, okay, worship me time. And during the tribulation, there's two methods of worship. Worshiping the beast and worshiping the true God. And paying for it probably with your life. And the people who worship the beast will be persecuting the people who worship the true God. And that's all it will come down to. You say, well, you know, I'm a... Fill in the blank. I'm a Muslim. You won't be. <laughs> and when it comes down to that, Satan will have no rivals. You're worshiping me. Well, I'm, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic. Not in the tribulation. Not in the tribulation. It's going to come down to true worship and false worship. And there's only one brand of false worship. And she is... The first half of the tribulation, she's the amalgamation of everything that's not true. Um, Okay, let's find out some stuff. Why did you marvel? I'm going to tell you, and you're thinking, oh, that's great. (coughs) I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carried her, which is good, because we're going to get like two for the price of one. Which has the seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads, ten horns. Seven heads, ten horns. Seven heads, ten horns. Seven heads, ten horns. horns. I think Satan's trying. Uh, He's got that motif all the time. And let's find out what that means now. Because I remember we were in chapter 13. I said, we'll table that for now. Okay? Because I could have explained it then, but I knew this was coming. The beast that thou sawest. Okay, we're going to take, before we take the woman up, we're going to take the beast up. The beast which thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and and is not and yet is. Everyone got it? Good. Let's go on to the next verse. You say, well, uh, slow down a little bit, Junior. Uh, You might want to explain that. I thought I might. Okay. The beast. By the way, the same beast of Revelation 13, the first one, the beast that came out of the sea, not the false prophet, who thou sawest, who was and is not, and is shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. What is that language? Was and is not, and, talking about the future, shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. And then the end, whatever we know about this beast, he's going into perdition. And also, he's taken others to perdition with him, they that dwell on the earth, uh, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. They're wandering. Well, they're wandering back in chapter 13. Um, Chapter 13, verse 3. The beast, I saw. Okay, verse 2. He was like a leopard. He was like a bear. He was like a lion. The dragon, we know that's Satan, gave him power and a seat and great authority. I saw one of his heads... As if it were, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And by the way, they worship the dragon, so they're wondering look, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with it? That's wonderment. Okay, and they're all going to hell. Perdition. That's what it says here in chapter 17. The beast you saw was and is not dead. He was alive, and now he's dead. And then. Uh, ascend up out of the bottomless pit. Resurrection. Well, that's one of his heads Is were wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed. All the world wondered after the beast. Um, most everyone thinks that, and I've always taught that and always maintained that. So he has this resurrection event. You can't even kill this guy. You can't make war with him. You kill him, he doesn't even stay dead. Um look at the second beast uh, who comes up out of the earth. And by the way, I, I think he's Jewish. Why? He comes up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. He spake like a dragon. He exercised the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and then to dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Resurrection. You want to see that in the Old Testament? I'm glad you do because I've got a place. Zechariah chapter 12. And you can go there or just Listen. Uh verse sixteen of Zechariah twelve. Now we on Wednesday night we are in Zechariah a lot. Zechariah is so cool. He has so much to say about the end times. Here's verse 16. God speaking, For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land. Good, not so good, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall he seek the young one, nor heal that is broken, nor feed that which that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat, and tear their claws in pieces. This is an Old Testament version of this Revelation 13 beast. Woe to the idle shepherd. Not idle, I-D-L-E. You're not reading it. It's I-D-O-L. He's an idle shepherd. You remember, he's going to set up an idol of himself in the Holy of Holies and make everyone worship. it. He's an idle shepherd. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword, this is his assassination event, I believe, the sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. Do you ever wonder why the mark of the beast is on the forehead? Well, you can put it on the eye, could you? And on the right hand? I think it's homage to this... He killed, assassinated beast who doesn't stay dead. Oh my goodness, who, how can we make war with him? He, he doesn't even die. You, when you kill him, he doesn't even stay dead. And I think this in chapter 17, the beast says was and is not dead and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Resurrection. What happens to him after that? And he goes into perdition. I'm not throwing in my lot with him. He's the big loser, eternally. And all those that follow him. Well, I don't follow him. You, know, you do. By virtue of the fact you don't follow Jesus Christ. Because this is what Babylon's all about. It's going to come down to following Jesus Christ. And by the way, I, I talked about Wednesday night. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Know Your Enemy, the Fuel Project. Did any of you guys look at that at all? Was that really good? Was that very helpful to connect all the dots? Uh, I could go into that and teach that at length, and it would be weeks and weeks and weeks. Or you can watch those videos. And again, you know, eat the, f- eat the meat, throw, uh, spit out the bones. I'm not giving it carte blanche. He's not a Calvary Chapel guy, but he's, I thought what he had to say was very concise, interesting, and you see where all the... Uh, It's all connected. All there's the true and the false, and the false just has a lot of different flavors. Because I'm not really into reincarnation, I don't, I'm not into that. Well, how about submit Islam? Oh, I like that. So God God gives you truth, and Satan will give you any falsehood you want to follow. And that's, that's how it works. And I was saying about atheism earlier, that has a history. It wasn't like there were people like, in, in, in the Bible, if you follow like atheism, did, did, in the old world, there was no atheists. Um, uh, there was agnostics, right? What you're saying is, I don't know, I'm not a knower. And it meant, I, I don't, I'm just going to say it, it meant to be stupid. What do you mean? Well, there were knowers and there were people who, A, without knowledge, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. There's an element there where you say, I, I don't believe in this. And that's what you know, people say. And they think like, well, that's super intelligent. The Bible said, not no. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. But let's let's not go there. Let's we'll not chase that. And I think like, where, where did atheism come from historically? The Enlightenment. People cast off. Christianity. Well, mostly Catholicism if you want to be honest. I did too. That doesn't mean turn your back on God. There's one guy at the time who said, I got this quote, men will never be free until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest. If my life was medieval serfdom, I would kind of feel the same way. You know, it's like all my problems are this king that I'm a vassal of, and I'm working my tail off to try to pay my taxes to keep him off my back. So I go to the church for support, and i got to pay more. This is horrible. And so people, I'm against God, and they throw out the baby with the bathwater. I would say cast off Catholicism, cast off our religion. But men, listen what it says, men will never be free. Until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest. That's ridiculous. Jesus Christ sets you free. You can strangle all the priests you want with all the entrails of all the kings, and none of that stuff's going to. It is for freedom they have set us free. Stand fast. Don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. I know freedom, it's, it's from casting off religion, not from casting off God. Those are. Very separate things. And I've always tried to communicate that. I've always tried to, you know, because uh, people, even at work, you know, are you real religious? I know what they mean. And I can always tell them, and I take the time and say, no, I believe in God, and I love God, and I'm really, like, I love Jesus, and I think Jesus is awesome, but I don't, I don't really ascribe to religion. And they think, like, uh, you know, what's that all about? And I explain it to them. God created Adam. So he could be with them, so they could fellowship. Where religion is Adam? He's man. Hanging out with God. Just enjoying fellowship. Just, that's what it's all about. Man fell. What do you do? Fig leaf time. Religion. Making himself to appear acceptable before God. I don't, I don't, I don't ascribe to that. Listen, Jesus cursed fig trees. <laughs> the, the fig tree is. A, I think he still curses fig trees. If you're trying to make yourself acceptable to God, you don't understand this book. You don't understand grace. You don't understand salvation. You don't understand freedom. What you do understand? Perdition, and that's the flavor. That's what you've got coming. There's the, the mystery Babylon, and there's God's truth. They that dwell in there shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Again, reference to his um, resurrection event. They they wonder. They're like, wow, this guy's amazing. N- not so much. God's amazing. Satan's not amazing. But their names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, I know some of you say, that's not fair. Wait a second, what if my name's not written in the book of life? I can't... What, I can't get saved. Well, you're right. It's not fair. Let me tell you how to make it fair. Ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart. He'll save you. Will he write my name in the book of life? You'll find out that it's already there. Well, I'm not doing that. Oh, your name's not in the book then. Well, that's not fair. Round and round we go. It's all on you. Anytime you want to ask Christ to come in your heart, I'm telling you, on the authority of this book, your name will be not only in the book of the Lamb's book of life, but it will have always have been there, even before God said, "Light, be." Which raises another question: Why God make us? like I say He wanted to be with us. He wanted to. Did He know that Adam would fall? Yes. And did He know that all the problems would arise. Yes. Well, Why did He let that happen? because he wanted to be with us? But most people aren't, but some are. Well, he could have made it so that we never fell. You mean taking away our free will? Who wants that? I told you I'm a jealous husband. You know what the best thing I like about Sue's the best more than anything else? She likes me. She's insane. I mean, I'll grant it, grant, grant it, okay. But she likes me. She chooses to be with me. She wants me. Above all the other guys in the world, there's what? I don't know. Besides me, like what, four billion other guys? And she says, no, you're number one. Oh, I like that. She does her own volition. She chose to do that. I love that. If I tortured her and hit her on the head with a rock, dragged her off my cave, drugged her, and hypnotize her into loving me, it's not quite the same, right? That's that's not love. That's crazy stuff. That's weird. That's, no. She chooses... I, I get it. I understand how God feels about us. He loves us. Desperately. Severely. More than you could ever even contemplate. How much? So much so that he gave Jesus to save us. And when I say give Jesus, I mean... He poured his blood out on the ground to to bring you into fellowship with himself. He took care of the the separation issue and the sin question. He's awesome, God. He loves you more than you love you. Anyway, we got the beast, okay, from verse 8. Here's the man which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now let's talk about the seven heads. And we won't get very far here, but I think we'll get verse 9 and 10 under our belt here. Here's where my half of wisdom. You can figure this out. You need a little wisdom. Uh, where's wisdom come from? Uh, yeah, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do we learn that? Wisdom's here, okay? We take this, we apply it, and we we'll live it out in our lives. We love it in our heart, and wisdom happens, okay? Here's Wisdom. Seven heads of seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Poof. I'm just going to dive right in, right? Because fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Let me demonstrate that right now. Anyone know a city that has seven hills? Yeah, Rome, somebody said. Hmm. Is that the headquarters of this harlot? Well, I don't know, but for my money, She's arrayed in purple and scarlet in verse 4. She's decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. What's that? Wealth. She has a golden cup in her hand. That could be a Dixie cup, but when I view that, I think a chalice. By the way, you look up scarlet. Just just Google or use Safari, like I get on my iPhone, scarlet and see what pops up. Just, just saying. Just saying. We know purple was the imperial color of Rome. Historically, it still kind of is. There are a group of people who wear purple, and there are a group of people who wear scarlet. And they both live in Rome and other places, but they have an affinity towards Rome. It's a city, it's a city on seven hills. That's where the woman sits. The day after the rapture, will the Roman church be here? I think it'll be largely in- intact. Say, well the Pope would go up in the rapture for sure. You mean the one who says that good atheists go to heaven, that one? I don't know what Bible he's reading. And by the way, he's he's of that mythos that's very Babylonian. Right? I mean it really is. There's one religion. It says, one belief system that says, listen, they, they all have one thing in common. All religion. that's why I reject it. All, all religions have one thing in common. You do this, you do this, you do this, and if you do enough of the things you're supposed to do, you make it. And if you don't do the things that you're supposed to not do, and you get, you get it all weighed out. That's why when you talk to people about heaven and hell, they always say, what? I'm a good person. What they're saying is, I've done more good than bad. Which is... Ridiculous, but beyond all that, what have you done with the bad that you already do? How do you absolve that? Well, I just do more good. I robbed the bank, and they caught me, but I told them I used the money, and I gave it to the Jimmy Fund, and then they let me go. You still owe a death by sin, and it's got to be paid for. And it does not get paid for by you doing more. That's very Babylonian. And when the Pope says, uh, good atheists go to heaven, he, he thinks that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. I don't know their verse. I've never seen it. I've only read this book through 40 times. I haven't come across that verse yet. I, I reject that. That's, so do, 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 and you'll make it to heaven. And the belief system of Jesus Christ doesn't say do, 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 do. It says done, paid in full. Now, I hope you see the, the difference there because you've you got, you got to understand that. Okay, I think she's drunk with the blood of the martyrs and of the saints. You can just look at the Reformation. You can just look at that that's still. In a lot of quarters, where, where, and that's not very many places today that Rome has the upper hand. But they have been one pope, one afternoon killed more Christians, real Christians, than all the all the emperors of Rome, all the Caesars of Rome combined. Uh, what a, there's a very, very good book on this? I think every Christian should have in their in their library. A woman rides the beast. And it's the history of the papalcy, and it's written by Dave Hunt, who's gone on to be the Lord, who I consider a prophet. Man, is incredible. And I, I would think that's like a staple in every Christian's library. Um, anyway, and it, it gives you all the details here, the hidden history of, of Rome. Uh, the seven heads are seven mountains, up which a woman sits, and I just think that's her headquarters. And I think this is the headquarters for ecclesiastical Babylon, which I think maybe be headquartered in Rome, but it takes in all the other religions that are left over after the after the day after the Rapture. You know, there's there's going to be unity, and there's going to be like, hey, let's all get together and sing Kumbaya. Let's and and of course the troublemakers, who they think are all the problem, we're going to be gone anyway. And they can have unity. There's a big ecumenical movement in Rome. It has been as long as I've been alive. Look it up. There are seven kings. Five is fallen. One is and the other is not yet to come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. This will be our last verse today, okay? Seven kings. Five fallen. One is. The other is not yet to come. Not yet come. Easy peasy, right? Good. We're all set. Um, some people say kings and kingdoms. Mountains are... Uh, also symbolic of kingdoms. You remember in Re- um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the rock cut without hands hits the image in the feet, and it becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, here, uh, if there's seven mountains and the, the seven kings are analogous, well, five of Rome's hills had to have fallen, and two, one is, and one's not yet come. I think mountain here could be mountain, it could be hill. I think it's still pointing to Rome. I think the seven kings now, so the kings and kingdoms are analogous. A king presupposes a kingdom. So some say uh, kingdoms and some say kings. Let's try to make it kings. and Let's say, you know, seven Caesars, uh, there are seven uh, Caesars, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. No, it won't work, because if you count them all out, Domitian at this time, who is banished uh, John to the Isle of Patmos. He's the eleventh. He's not. It won't work that way. But if you think of them as kingdoms, it does work. There are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is the others not yet come. I can name them. You want me to? Now, we know uh, several of them from the Book of Daniel, from Babylon, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Babylon, right? And then the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greek Empire, and then the Roman. Adam, that's only four. Oh, I'm glad you caught that. Well, how about the first one being Egypt? The first world empire that had to do with... And by the way, there's a lot of world empires and stuff like this, but it only has to do with uh, Israel. Okay? So you think about, like, Incas or Aztecs or, you know, the Ming Dynasty or whatever. But that has nothing to do with Israel. This book is very Jerusalem-centric, okay? So the first one, where is Israel born? In Egypt. That's the world empire. That was one of the ones that are fallen. Egypt, then Assyria. Assyria is very notable. It took the northern kingdom off into captivity. So now you get two. What, where did, who got wiped out by Assyria? Uh, who wiped out Assyria? Babylon, three, right? Medo-Persia, four. We're still in the book of Daniel now. And then what's gonna come after that? Uh, the fifth one, Greece. Uh, the sixth one. There are seven kings. Five are fallen. Greece is fallen. And one is Rome. That fits. Is that what that means? I think so. But Don't you remember when we're in Revelation 13 verse 2, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard, uh, Greece, his feet were like the feet of a bear, Medo-Persia, and he had the mouth uh, of a lion, uh, Babylon, and the dragon gave him his power and great authority, Satan. So, he has remnants of all these ones that have gone before. So, Um, There are seven kings, five are fallen, I just named them. One is Rome, and the other is not yet come. What's that? Rome phase two, the Antichrist kingdom. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space, three and a half years to be precise, well, give him his props, probably all seven years, and probably a little before that. He's going to rise to prominence before he introduces this covenant with death that he gets Israel to sign, and they get to rebuild their temple, and he makes peace with them. So he's probably prominent in more than just the seven years, but it's only a short space. And then he's off to perdition. Where does it say that? verse 11, we'll, we'll finish it. the beast that was and is not resurrection event he is the eighth okay, of world empires he is of the seven he came out of the seventh one the reformulated Roman Empire, and then what happens he goeth into perdition so he hangs around for a little while he continues for a short space I'm not throwing in with him My God is the God of the long time. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And after that, the eternal order. And we'll see that as it plays out in the book of the Revelation. So now you know the seven heads and the ten horns. The ten horns are analogous to the ten toes of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That's when the rock made without hands, that's Jesus Christ, smashes the image on the feet the ten toes or the ten heads, whatever you want to call it. That's that kingdom, the eighth, that's not yet come yet that the Antichrist is going to come out of. He's of the seven. He's Roman, Rome-ish. He comes out of that reconstituted Roman Empire. You think Italian, you think European. Maybe, maybe. I I don't personally think so. I think the eastern leg of the Roman Empire... I think he's Muslim, but that's a story for another time. What, what's the long and short of it? He goes into perdition. Don't follow him. Get your name written in the book of life. Why? What happens if you don't? Perdition. I mean, the, look at the long and short of it. Is There's going to be a one world religion coming soon to a planet near you. If you're here when that happens, you've already missed the boat. At that point, you can repent. You probably pay for that with your life or you'll probably go, go along to get along and pay for it eternally is this what this is telling us yeah the whole book of Revelation is telling us how many times have we been here get right or get left I, I don't say that I get, I get this past this heart and I really care I tell everybody I know as much as they will let me, um, I don't know. Wonderful day to get saved. We'll we've, we'll pick this up next time. We'll uh, we'll finish up chapter seventeen. I knew I knew we wouldn't get through it, but that's that's fine. Our, our worship team's going to come. We'll go out here with uh, with singing. Does, did I explain that well enough so you understand it a little bit better? I know we're fast and There's a lot of moving parts here. I'm trying to, and as we study it out, you, you, you know it better and better all the time. When you see seven heads, ten horns, you're like, ah, I got this. You know? Okay. Father, we thank you for your, you can all stand. Father, I thank you for your this time, in the word. Lord, the the takeaway is what's coming is bad, and we would rather avoid it all. So when you come to get your bride, that, that that our choice is to be part of that group. There, we thank and praise you for the salvation you've given us. Pure freedom, freedom to follow you. Are uh, we? Are we into sin, Lord? Uh, into the bondage that sin brings? No, into freedom that Christ brings. We thank and praise you for this great salvation, Lord, and for loving us more than you loved your own son. One time, you, you used him to save us, and we appreciate that so much. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Lord, make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.